0: Hello, and welcome to the Sports Field Management Podcast. I'm your host, John Kamita, Associate Publisher and Editorial Brand Director of Sportsfield Management Magazine. On this episode of the Sports Field Management Podcast, I'm speaking with Dr. Chase Straw, Assistant Professor of Turfgrass Management and Physiology at Texas A&M University and Academic Director for the SFMA Board of Directors. In addition to teaching and advising students majoring in turfgrass science at Texas A&M, Chase has a 70% research appointment, where his primary focus is on the use of technologies for developing practical strategies to reduce management inputs and improve overall user experience on golf courses and sports fields. I'm thrilled to speak with Chase about his research, the impact of technology on turfgrass management, using drones for data acquisition and trends analysis, as well as getting into the topics of robotics, battery-powered equipment, and much more. So please enjoy this episode of the Sports Field Management Podcast and our conversation with Dr. Chase Straw. Welcome, Chase, to the Sports Field Management Podcast. Thanks for joining me. Um, Just wanted to uh, touch base with you on on technology for sports field management and just for our listeners. um, You've been involved with research that utilizes technology and data to analyze sports field conditions the impact of the playing surface on athlete health and safety Uh, we've obviously highlighted some of that in sports field management magazine but if you could start off and and give listeners a bit of an idea about some of the research that's being done using data and technology and uh, kind of your involvement and just kind of your overall take on, on technology
1: in the industry yeah, well, sure. Well, th- well, first of all, thanks for having me. Uh, excited to do this podcast with you. Um, yeah, technology has been a center of my research program, dating all the way back to grad school when I was at the University of Georgia. Once I was at Minnesota, I incorporated technology more on the golf side of my research. And then here at a and I do, I'd say about 50-50 golf Sports fields and almost all of the research that I do involves some type of technology. So I, I think I'm starting to gain a reputation in my, just a few years of being at AM as being the technology guy, uh, which is a good thing and a bad thing because it can be overwhelming. It's really hard to keep up with the technology, especially from the research standpoint, because the research moves slow, as most people know. Uh, and then technology just seems to keep growing and growing, and uh, there's something new coming out almost all the time. Uh, so it's it's very challenging to to be involved with the technology. But nonetheless, I feel like it's exciting research that I do. Is some of it applicable right now? Probably not, But the hope is that in the in the future, it will be very applicable, right? And then also, uh, some of the method I'm kind of the guinea pig as far as the research. you know, we get introduced to a new technology. We try to come up with a methodology that we think might be, Uh, the most practical or the most beneficial to the end user whether that be on the sports field side or the golf course side but nonetheless we have to come up with some type of methodology or or ideal or hypothesis to test and that can be really challenging because we also want it to be applicable ultimately in the end Um, so with that said you know i dabble in all sorts of different technologies Uh, some of the more common commercially available uh, things are, are, are technologies like soil moisture sensors. Uh, from a field performance standpoint, you know surface hardness, anything that we can do to measure field characteristics from a surface hardness standpoint or even an energy uh, absorption or restitution standpoint. Starting to do a little bit more drone work with vegetation indexes like uh, NDVI is a really popular one to measure things like turf grass cover and turf quality. And then starting to move into a little bit more advanced technologies that people aren't necessarily using too much right now. And there's a ton of limitations currently, but I think like everything, it's only going to improve over time, but things like satellite imagery, even microwave sensors on the back of mowers that potentially can measure soil moisture uh, for, for more informed irrigation decisions. So all sorts of things, robotic uh, performance testing devices, so you don't have to go out and do handheld measurements of some of those other uh, performance characteristics that I just mentioned. So there's a plethora of technologies. And now it's just, from my standpoint, it's figuring out, okay, how do I develop a study around it? And then how do I ultimately relay the information that I find to end users to hopefully benefit their job? Sure. In terms
0: of, you know, and I know there's a lot of different uh, technologies, like you said, soil moisture, you know, just a lot of different things when it comes to, to, to data, managing the impact of the field on the athletes. What type of adoption Are you seeing, or have you seen, in the industry when it comes to acceptance of different technologies? Um, You know, what's the most prevalent out there in terms of acceptance, and kind of where's that where's that trending? Do you see, you know, do you see a a more uh, more acceptance on the part of the end user, or is some of that still quite a ways off?
1: No, I think I think it depends on the technology for sure. Over the last, you know, I've, I've I've been in academia now for. 11, 12 years total, if you count grad school, you know, I started early on with soil moisture sensors and, and things like that. And I think over the last decade, I've, you start, you're starting to really see a, a rise in adoption of soil moisture sensors, especially on sports fields, whether it be a handheld soil moisture sensor, uh, or even in-ground soil moisture sensors. But I think that's one that's really taken off in, in the sports field industry. I don't know if it if we can say that things like the Clegg hammer for surface hardness or some of these other testing devices are widespread now. I do think that people are familiar with it at least now, so that there's an understanding on exactly you know what you're getting when you're measuring some of those performance variables related to surface hardness. It is nice to see, I think, and I and I have witnessed that there is a, a rise in users of of that type of technology, uh, the surface hardness, the Clegg hammer. Uh, there's a Deltec Field Tester. There's some other devices out there that are somewhat similar. I have seen that on the rise uh, over the last handful of years, but nonetheless, it all comes down to cost. Some of these devices are very expensive. And one thing that I try to do in my research is to at least not only highlight the benefits, but possibly put some type of return on investment on it, uh, which I think is obviously very important. To, to I think I think your typical sports field manager wants to adopt the technologies, but maybe they just can't get the support from the higher up to purchase the technology. So I think the more research we can show on the benefits of having that data to make whatever type of management decision with it uh, is only gonna benefit the sports bill managers in the long run. So with that said, you know, soil moisture sensors, to go back to your question, soil moisture sensors, I think are, are the most adopted technology Um, And then I think the Clegg hammers, some of your shear strength devices, these are things maybe at higher end facilities. Uh, Drones are still they're still up there uh, as far as uh, what do we do with them? What do we do with the data? Uh, There's there's a ton of things you can do with them. But how do we utilize it? And once again, how do we put that return on investment towards it? How can we make it very beneficial for a specific situation um, so that you're getting the most return on investment for Investing in that type of technology, so yeah, I think that's kind of the answer. I think it's been a slow progression, but we're getting there, uh, and it just takes time, I think, to fully understand how these things work.
0: Sure, you mentioned your involvement on the golf side as well. Um, do you see a quicker adoption rate in the golf market, whether that's budgetary or just kind of you know difference of of approach, um, or is it pretty pretty similar in terms of the technological advancement in, in both markets when it comes to turf grass?
1: Yeah, I mean, I'd say overall golf is a, a little bit more ahead uh, than, than the sports field industry. And to be honest, I'm not 100% sure why. Maybe because more research is out there on the technologies. Typically, we get more funding on the golf side from, from our standpoint so that we do the research first in a golf course scenario. Maybe some of the golf facilities might have a little bit more money to put towards the management rather than maybe a park and rec or a, a high school or a ISD. So it might be a money thing. It might be more of a just golf seems to be an early adopter of technologies uh, in the turfgrass industry as a whole, because that funding is there for research and development. I think those would be the main reasons. Uh, But but overall, no, it is not 50-50, I don't think. And I think golf is definitely more, uh, they're more further along than than the sports field side, for sure. But that's not to say that, that there's not interest, right, in the sports field side, because there's the whole... When I always do presentations on these technologies, you know, golf, there's this whole, you have large acreage, you have this whole sustainability factor where you're managing at a high level, uh, lots of acres of turf grass. Sports field scenario, unless you're at a major large sporting complex with with a bunch of fields, you know, sometimes you only have anywhere from one field to three or four fields. So the acreage is small. So when you talk about sustainability and data-driven decisions to reduce inputs, That scale might not be as big on sports fields than it is on golf, but sports fields are different because we have the whole playability aspect with athletes. So not only is it an advantage to adopting these technologies for data-driven decisions to reduce inputs, but you can also potentially improve field conditions from a safety and playability standpoint. So those are things that I try to do in my research program to make that connection between the athlete-surface interactions. Uh, and that's something that golf you can do to a certain extent, right? Because you have ball roll and they do they do green speed and things like that. But as far as people running and making athletic maneuvers and jumping and falling and hitting their head, you know sports fields, quantifying those field characteristics are are very, very beneficial using these technologies on top of potential uh, input reductions from data-driven decisions.
0: Sure. Sure. That's a little bit of a pivot off of the uh, off of the data and technology side of things, but um, you know, when it comes to technology for the sports field management industry, obviously we've seen the proliferation of robotics, primarily for robotic line markers in the sports field management industry, but also getting into now getting into mowers with more commercial units being developed. Labor shortages have been a big part of that, and. But what other factors are you seeing that are driving the industry toward robotics? And and just what are your overall thoughts on the technology?
1: Uh, as far as what's driving it, I think labor is certainly the driving force of the the robotics. You know, things like painters, I think those are becoming, obviously, they're not widespread. And, and I wouldn't say the majority of facilities have robotic painters, but sure. we're trending in that direction. Over the last few years, they've come out with a lot of different retrofitted type painters that you can put on a, a utility vehicle with auto steer and you can lay out your fields that way. And then obviously the actual robot painters themselves, there's a handful of those now on the market. Um, you know, that that all comes down to labor. You don't have to string. You don't have to necessarily spend as much time and effort to paint fields now, which is huge. Um, and same with the autonomous mowers. You don't have to have necessarily a person on a mower you can let the robot do its thing and, and you're saving labor that way. So I think the big selling point for sports field managers with those two things in particular are just the, the labor savings, and that's 100% driving, I think, the adoption. Uh, now, what's the return on investment? I think that depends, right, on how many fields you have and, you know, how much labor is costing you. There's, there's a lot of factors that can play into return on investment, but just the reallocation of resources by having those technologies, because you're not having to devote manpower to painting fields continuously or potentially mowing fields. Uh, just being able to reallocate that time to other things, I think, is a huge benefit, and uh, also another driving force, right, to, to adopting the technologies. Um, overall, you know, my opinion is with those technologies, is it's the future. I think we're going to see more and more people adopt it uh, as we move forward. Um, you know, one thing I haven't even mentioned yet are, are sprayers, uh, and that's one thing that we're doing a little bit of research on with GPS sprayers with auto steer. So now potentially you don't have to put a person a very skilled labor onto a sprayer because now these newer sprayers can operate themselves pretty much automatically. So you don't have to uh, you don't have to have somebody turning the booms manually on and off, right. You don't even have to have somebody driving straight because these things will drive for you. Uh, it'll prevent your overlaps. So, you know, GPS sprayers, autonomous mowers, and painters, I think those are just huge pieces of technology for the sports field industry, uh, especially with the labor struggles of of most people. And I think we're only going to see adoption trend very rapidly upwards here in the next five to 10 years.
0: Sure. Now, you mentioned mentioned autonomous. You mentioned, um, you know, the robotics. When it comes to battery-powered outdoor equipment, obviously, we've seen a rapid rise in that as well over the past decade. Uh, initially, it was on the consumer side just because of limitations in terms of battery runtime and recharging. But now we're starting to see, you know, longer run times, faster charging, a uh, lot more units being targeted toward a commercial market and a commercial end user, you know, even up to the point of battery powered mowers. Uh, obviously, there's some you know cost variances there to be factored in. But uh, what's your outlook with regard to battery powered equipment? Um, and its adoption within the sports field management industry?
1: I mean, I think there's a lot of benefits to battery-powered equipment. Uh, we're obviously trending that direction, uh, whether some people like it or not. But, you know, California just put the – well, they didn't just do it. They, they announced it, I think, a year or two ago that they're going to move towards it starting in 2024 of uh, battery-powered blowers and weed eaters and things like that. You know, the benefits, the noise benefit is huge. Obviously, the emissions is is big. Um, I think people that do not want to move towards that direction are are more concerned about the power and the battery life, like you said, which are valid reasons to be concerned potentially. But, you know, I I don't know if I have an opinion one way or the other. In my opinion is the, you know, ultimately our industry needs to move towards being more sustainable. That's a big word that gets, you know, used a lot, but, um, so batteries are obviously going to help us potentially move that direction. Um, Hopefully, we can do it in an efficient manner with the batteries, though. And I think batteries will only improve as 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 we continue to develop them so that they are producing a more powerful piece of equipment that we can use to uh, for whatever our needs are. Um, so, I mean, overall, I think ultimately that's just the direction we're going. Um, and, and they work. I mean, they work just fine. I have a battery-powered uh, edger and I have a battery-powered weed eater. Now, I don't weed eat you know two foot tall grass you know or real thick stuff but sure. nonetheless it works um and i'm not blowing anything except grass clippings off of the sidewalk so i mean they they do work definitely but there's some considerations that you have to have with those as well but i mean to be able to reduce emissions and, and to be honest who knows if you know there's not a ton of research out there right on even what the, the the savings you know you still have to you still have to power them right you still have to charge them and that takes energy so Overall, you know, the noise, I think, is a huge benefit, and the fact that, you know, you're not using gas and, and you're reducing emissions is another big benefit. And I think I think it'll only get better as we move forward, and I think people will get more used to it as we move forward as well. And I think more states are coming, you know, with the gas-powered engines, the small engines. I think New York, Minnesota, some of those other, Illinois, I think, potentially was talking about it. Uh, so it's, it's coming, Um, and I think people, it's just one of those things people are going to have to get used to and adapt if they haven't already. Sure. Going back to the, uh, to the robotic mowers
0: for a second. Um, obviously we're seeing some fairly high level adoption. We've seen some minor league baseball facilities, um, you know, obviously the Boston Red Sox recently announced that they're using robotic mower. Do you have a feel in terms of any, any research or just kind of industry updates in terms of the, or, or analysis of the cut quality on robotic mowers and how that relates to the playing surface, you know, in terms of ensuring a safe playing surface for the athlete, um, especially as it's compared to, you know, traditional
1: uh, real rotary mowers? I don't, there's, there's not a ton of the scientific literature out there on, on that yet. There, there is some, and the majority of the, the robotic mowers, as far as cut quality uh, has been done on cool season grasses. Mm-hmm. So there's, there's been talks with, there's, I know there's ongoing research on some of the warm season grasses, particularly maybe not just for a sports field setting, but also for a, for a lawn setting, right? Cause that's also a huge market for these robotic sure. Uh, mowing companies, so things like St. Augustine grass that might be a little bit more thicker or difficult to cut. I know there's some work being done there. Uh, zoysia grasses, I mean, and even Bermuda grasses. Uh, just the the growth characteristics of the, these warm season grasses compared to the cool season grasses are completely different. So, uh, I think based on my experience seeing the mowers, they they do just fine cutting these uh, all the all the different species. But nonetheless, as far as just actually having scientific literature out there, I'm not fully aware of it. I know there's some work that's been done with tall fescue and some of the cool season grasses, like I've said, but warm season grass research is lacking. I would be surprised just based on anecdotal evidence of just talking with people and kind of seeing it for myself. If the quality would decline, I think that it's either going to be just as good or maybe even better and then you go back to the fact that what well, depending on height of cut right so that's another sure. thing so how 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 can we cut and what what height are we looking at so i mean i think these things could potentially be research projects right as high to cut and quality of cut time of year is something else too as far as when you're cutting how frequently you're cutting how long the blades last with particular species so, i mean there's 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 definitely research projects that can be done but with that being said I think what's out there and what's currently being done, I've been pretty thoroughly impressed. And I've talked to some of those uh, minor league baseball guys; they they're very impressed with with the technology. And it's it's goes back to the labor, right? They don't have to mow. Um, there's some things obviously that they wish the mowers had, like striping capabilities and and things like that. But nonetheless, I think personally, I think baseball fields kind of look cool even without a stripe uh, or without any kind of pattern. And some people are moving away from that in the infield because it might affect ball roll Uh, anyway. But it's nice because you can manage things like cut height. Uh, You can monitor where it is with just from your phone. Right. So you can watch it. Traffic might be something, you know, if uh, I've I've heard people uh, charging station. This is more on the golf side. But if you have charging stations, you might get a little bit of traffic where the Thomas mower is going in and out of the charging station frequently um on a sports field though maybe you'll have it set off to the side where it doesn't even matter or maybe in a baseball situation you obviously won't even have it on the field so it might not be as big of an issue in sports fields um but it, i think we're we're figuring more we're learning more about autonomous mowers and i think that as more people continue to adopt them we'll start hearing more positive things about them honestly i've i've been nothing but impressed with them now cost is the only thing that i don't know um i don't know necessarily how much these things cost i don't know Really, how fast they are. Um, so, if you have multiple fields, you know, logistically, how many do you need to purchase to get it get things done? So, these are all things that are obviously just going to be a case by case basis, uh, depending on the type of facility you have.
0: Sure. Going
1: back to some of the
0: research initiatives, and in that you mentioned uh, drones and you know future uses for drones, can you touch on that a little bit in terms of what you see as you know, I assume most of that is for data acquisition and and you know perspective and that type of thing. But can you give a little bit of feel for um, what you see as as the potential future uh, impact of drones on the industry?
1: Yeah, um, so dr- there's there's a lot of things that you can do with drone imagery, which is nice. Um, I think the things that my program is focused on primarily right now. Well, there's two things. One is how can we quantify the impact of Hours of use is, I guess is what I'll say, hours of use on a field using a drone. So if if you fly frequently across a field throughout the year and then you start flying every year, you basically start building a database, right, that you can compare to, okay, my scheduled hours of play. And then you can go back and say, okay, this field, especially if you're at a large complex, this particular field performed the poorest. And then you can almost say, okay, why? And then you can go back, look at your scheduled hours of use. Maybe you could look back at your management notes and you can start figuring out, okay, we need to, how we're going to schedule our traffic and how we're going to schedule how fields are being used. And I think one day we'll get to the point right now, we almost have to do it manually because these softwares, they just give you the maps and you have to interpret it yourself. And you can go back and look at dates and things like that, individual dates with, with things like the ter- the turf quality measurements and turf cover like i was talking about some of the vegetation indexes but i think eventually we'll get to the point where we come up with some type of model that we can show trends over time very easily and then we can end up setting thresholds okay once this field reaches you know 30 percent of the field's quality is below our threshold then okay we got to shut it down we have to do we either have to shut it down or we have to do some type of management practice the software is going to recommend that management practice it's gonna tell us where to do it, plug it into our GPS sprayer or spreader if it's a fertility program, and then go out, target at a variable rate. So it's all kind of tied together, right? Um, so it's more of a monitoring system, uh, I think, from, the, from that standpoint. And that's kind of what we're starting to dabble in a little bit, is how can we just collect a ton of data, generate a big database of, of these aerial images with turf quality, uh, for all of our sports fields and then figure out okay why when do we need to shut it down all right when do we need to start okay watching our traffic on these particular fields and then the second thing i think is is pests and this is more on the golf side but i think it could potentially work its way also into the sports field side um, i know the group out of virginia tech is doing some work with spring dead spot but we're doing a little bit of work with weeds um, where we're flying drones across sports fields and then using artificial intelligence to detect weeds from the turfgrass species, and that basically geo-references where weeds are on the field so that you can plug them into a GPS sprayer and go out and spot spray rather than do uh, uh, a blanket application, right? Sure. We're even we're even going out with uh, drone sprayers, so basically you fly your field initially, uh, you plug your images into a, an AI a machine learning Differentiate the weed from the grass, and then it'll create a georeferenced location point for each weed. So a drone can go out and just basically fly over that point and spot spray. I don't think we're too far off now. Obviously, the cost from a practical standpoint for that type of technology right now is just way more than probably anybody can afford, uh, especially for the return on investment for it. But nonetheless, I, I don't think it's crazy to say you know one day we'll be spraying whole fields with weeds. Uh, with or with drones, uh, with maybe even swarms of drones, multiple drones. And there's obviously a ton of limitations to that right now as well. Um, so that's kind of what we're using aerial imagery for. Satellites still have a long way to go as far as resolution, temporal and spatial resolution. We're getting a little bit better with the temporal resolution. So we can get images now relatively frequently, two, two to three times a week. At, the, at an affordable cost there's there's ones you can pay a, a bunch of money and get it more frequently but then you also have the spatial resolution so we're working with a company that does it's 10 feet by 10 feet pixels uh which on a sports field we're seeing some limitations with that because you get things like sidewalks and fences and and uh all these other obstructions that kind of skew the vegetation indexes uh that, that we want to pull from those um but nonetheless i think once again they're probably only going to get better and if we can get a satellite image rather than have to go out and fly a drone then that could be another big benefit down the road as well
0: sure are there are there any other technologies maybe not yet prevalent either on the practitioner side or on the data collection analysis and research side um, that you think will be impacting industry down the road that you know just aren't here yet you know obviously beyond the
1: drones and the robotics and things that we've already talked about Uh, You know, I can't think of anything necessarily. I think the technology, I think what we'll see over the next several years is the technologies that we have, like soil moisture sensors and even the Clegg hammer and some of these other performance measures. I keep using the Clegg as an example. There's a there's a ton of others, but I know that the Clegg is just kind of the more common one. Um, I think we're going to start seeing those into get incorporated more into the robotics. So you're gonna have a robot going out and they can collect these data for you, right? So everything's getting to the point where you don't have to go out and manually collect the data yourselves. And I think that's gonna be the next big trend. As far as like new variables that can get measured, I'm not a hundred percent sure what else could get measured that would be beneficial. I'm sure there's something that somebody will think of. I think the big thing from my perspective and one thing that we've always tried to do in the research that that my program has done is try to just relate these field measures to the athlete variables and to to athlete performance or athlete injuries and whatnot. And athlete wearable technologies, I think, are, are they've been around for several years now, but I think they're becoming more common. I think it's not rare to find a high school even that wears GPS athlete trackers now. Because um, they're relatively affordable devices, and you can use them for a ton of different performance monitoring. Um, and so, you know, the big thing I think from a data standpoint, our industry needs to move towards, or at least the scientists in there in our industry, move towards making those connections of field characteristics and athlete performance, um, and then getting that data out there to people outside of our industry, so that people realize how important field characteristics are when it comes to athletes. Um, and obviously the professional level, the collegiate level, uh, these are all probably where it'll start. And then eventually, I think it'll trickle down uh, to to making these athlete-surface interaction conclusions about how, how how the field impacts athletes will trickle down eventually to the community level. Because we need to be able to just show the, it's more than just managing the grass, right? Just showing that it's important to have somebody there that that knows how important field characteristics are and how to properly manage fields, whether it be a natural turf grass or synthetic turf field. And I think we can highlight how important of a job that is by also relating it to the users. And to do that, we can get the data from the athletes. And it's pretty easy. I don't want to say it's easy to get now, but people are collecting it. It's out there. And then for somebody like myself or, a, or another academic out there, there's ways to get access to that data so it's blind, so nobody... You know, you know, you got the whole issue with sharing information, but you can get the blind data and then make those relationships to how field characteristics influence athletes. I think that's another big step forward over the next several years that that we'll see more data. We'll, we'll see more, more uh, scientific literature, at least, coming out on how fields influence athletes.
0: Excellent. Uh, well, I really appreciate the insight. I appreciate you taking the time. Uh, is there anything else we might not have touched on with the topic or anything you'd like our
1: listeners to know I don't think so I think we I think we covered most of it I could talk more about each one but (laughs) limited time and I don't want to bore everybody (laughs) all right well
0: thanks again Chase we appreciate you jumping on the podcast and uh, sharing all the information
1: on technology thanks John thanks for having me thank you
0: Thanks once again to Dr. Chase Straw. I really enjoyed speaking with him and getting his insights on drones, robotics, and other advancements. And I'm sure we could fill another episode delving into his research about the cutting-edge technologies that will change the future of turfgrass management. For articles about Dr. Straw's research, please visit sportsfieldmanagementonline.com and search using his last name. Or for more information about the Texas A&M turfgrass program, please visit soilcrop.tamu edu/slash/program/slash/turfgrass. We'll be back soon with more great guests on the Sports Field Management podcast. So please stay tuned, and thank you very much once again for listening. Goodbye.